You guys don't even have to sit. You can stay right there. It's fine. I can come to you. That's not a problem. Look at that. It's a bonus, eh? When this church is smaller, I can come to you. Right, what's this? A cup of water. That's right. Is water good for you? Yes. Now, if you only got water for the rest of your life, not food as well, but you would never have allowed hot chocolates and Coke and monster energy drinks and coffee um, and all you ever got to drink was water, would you be healthy? Uh, the answer is yes. That's what all the mums and dads are saying right now. Um, this is all you need for liquid to keep you healthy for the rest of your life. But, you know, one of the problems with water is you have to find it from somewhere, right? Like I know it comes out of the tap, but it has to come from somewhere to get to the tap, right, to come into our glass so we can drink it. Um, but, you know, there's a, there's a huge amount of water somewhere that we can find really easy and we can drink from. Do you know where? The sea. The sea has heaps of water in it, doesn't it? At the beach, right? You go down to the beach and there's this massive body of water and you can drink it because it's water, right? Is it nice drinking water from the beach? No. What's it taste like? Sea water, salty, eh? It tastes gross. It's like, ugh. You go under the water and it's splashing. And you say, ah, yuck, it tastes disgusting. What if we decided, you know, since it's wet and since it's water, we could just start drinking salt water from now on. You know, we'll just get some salt, fill your cup of water up with salt and have a good drink. Mmm, salty water. It'd be good, eh? Would you be healthy if you drank salty water for the rest of your life? The answer's no. <laughs> That's right, you wouldn't. It would be bad for you. You know, this cup of water is not salty water, fortunately. It's good water. It comes all the way from our house because it's better than the church water. Um, not that I'm biased. Uh, this is good tap water that's good for your body. And this is a little bit like what we call good doctrine, the things you find in the Bible. But they don't, they don't fill up your tummy. They fill up your soul and your heart so that you can know the truth and walk in the truth and love God. You know, if we drink lots of it, good doctrine, we'll be healthy in our souls. But the problem is we can be tempted to sometimes to, you know, add some salt to it. And then we have bad doctrine. And then we have problems. And so what we need is people, you know, mums, dads, pastors, elders, who can come alongside us with good doctrine and give it to us to eat and drink so that we can be healthy. And that's what we're going to be looking at, the way that God gives us yummy doctrine to feed upon so that we can be healthy in our souls. So let's pray and thank God that he's given that to us. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us pure spiritual milk to feed upon. And we pray that you would nourish our hearts and minds with it, that we might flourish and grow. We pray, Lord, that the simple doctrines of the faith would feed the hearts of our children, that they might walk in them and delight in them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Titus chapter 2, we finally made it. And looking at the first verse. Titus chapter 2, which is on page 938 of the Pew Bible. 
We'll read chapter 2, verse 1 through to 10. But we're just looking at verse 1 tonight. This is God's holy and infallible word for you. But as for you, that is Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Saviour. Amen, and may God bless the reading of his word, and let's come to him in a time of prayer before we consider it. Lord, we thank you that that you have spoken through your word and you continue to do so 2,000 years later. That, Lord, your voice echoes through creation and yet you have spoken specifically to your people. And we pray, Lord, that as we gather around your thrown like little children, longing to hear from you, longing to hear our Father, that you would speak to us, your people, that we might be nourished together, built up, edified, established for every good work, that we might leave here with an increase in knowledge and fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom, And that we might apply what we hear to every aspect of our lives. Lord, make your word profitable in our hearts tonight. That as we go into a week, we would do so with the voice of Christ echoing in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As most of you are aware, Josella and I have... I've been fostering children since we first came here to Covenant seven years ago. And I can particularly remember one set of children that came to us, um, a brother and a sister. And when they came to us, the lawyer who was looking after the case told us, this came straight from a home, told us that in 20 plus years of doing this work, she had never seen a situation so horrendous. Um, the, uh, particularly the fam- like the house situation, the way things were in the house. These, these children 
uh, almost never got fed directly by someone. They had to scavenge through the whole home to find food, uh, scavenging through rubbish bins uh, while, while you know, needles and things just scattered over the house. And, and when they came to us, the, the boy especially had no idea how to be fed by someone. And so here we have this child that's never sat in a high chair, never been nourished properly, and doesn't even know how to receive food from a parent. And, and you know, these children, as you could imagine, were malnourished, right? They, they weren't only malnourished, but they didn't even know how to get nourishment. And, and it took a long time for us to train them how to eat and train them how to actually enjoy food. I can remember having long extended meal times doing everything I could imagine to try and get this, particularly the boy, to eat food, from like dangling spaghetti over him, making it a game, to everything you could imagine, being an absolute clown. And we got there. And eventually these children learned to eat, and they became well-fed and well-nourished. It's actually surprisingly common with foster children, often they, they hoard food, often they uh, steal food, even if it's freely provided for them, because they've never really been well nourished. You know, brothers and sisters, we can be like that in the Christian faith, can't we? We can be malnourished. We can be spiritually famished and, and not even realize it, because we don't know what to expect, right? We're just sheep. Uh, how do we know what to eat? How do we know what's good for us? How do we know how to feed, how to grow? Well, in our passage today, in verse 1 of chapter 2, Paul, Paul writes to Titus and effectively answers that problem. This is how. This is how you nourish the saints. He's, he's addressed the governance of the church with elders in chapter 1. He's addressed the false teachers. And now it's like he, he now shifts in the letter to his focus upon Titus. And he says, but as for you. Now that but's very important because it's a contrast, isn't it? So unlike the false teachers. So he's just finished speaking about false teachers, but Unlike the false teachers, Titus, who don't nourish anyone, who misuse the sheep, who abuse the sheep, who, who speak for their own gain, unlike them, Titus, I want you, verse 1, to teach what accords with sound doctrine. And the first thing we see here, and it might be very obvious, but the first thing we see here is that there is such a thing as sound doctrine. God has given us sound doctrine. He has given his people, his sheep, sound doctrine to nourish them. Now, I know that seems like a painstakingly obvious thing to state, but if we lose sight of that, we find ourselves in troubled waters. Because the opposite of that's also true, right? If the Lord has given sound doctrine, that means there's what? Unsound doctrine. 
If he's given healthy, which is the other way of translating sound, if he's given healthy teaching, healthy doctrine, then that means there's also stuff that's unhealthy. There's stuff that's bad for you. There is fresh water and there is salt water. Only one of those you want to drink, right? So it is with doctrine. And, and so you might ask yourself, well then, what, what is sound doctrine, Logan? What, what, what's healthy doctrine, Logan? How do we know? Well, let me take you to three other references in the pastoral epistles, which is Ti- Timothy, Timothy, Titus, to highlight this for us. Have a look at chapter 1 of Titus, verse 9. Paul says, speaking about the elders, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word. Now, note these two next words, as taught. So it's something that which is taught, right? So he receives the teaching and he holds on to it so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine. So he's passing on something that he's receiving. This body of doctrine is something he's received. He's been taught by an apostle or a minister or a teacher. It becomes a little bit more clear when you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Just turn a few back pages backwards. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, says, Follow the, sa- the pattern of the sound words. Okay, so very similar phraseology. Sound words that you have heard from me. Same idea as in Titus, right? This word that's been taught to you, passed on to you. In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So Paul has received this teaching and he's passed it on and they are to follow it in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So it's something that's being passed down, right? And then it becomes even clearer again when you look just on the page beforehand in 1 Timothy 6. Have a look at 1 Timothy 6 from verse 12. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good profession. I'm looking in the wrong place. I wrote down 13. It's actually 3. Have a look at 1 Timothy 6 from false teachers and true contentment. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words, notice that same speech, of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. So what is this body of sound doctrine? How might we summarize this thing that's being passed down? Well, you might summarize it as being the teaching and person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, what we see here when we put these three things together is Jesus Christ has taught, which Paul has received, and Paul has passed on to the ministers and to the elders, and they then take that doctrine and bring it to the sheep for food. So to to use an analogy, it's a little bit like Someone has to kill the cow to bring the meat to the butcher so that the butcher can sell it to you so you can take it home to feed it to your family, right? It's that type of a thing. 
Christ came teaching. He was a preacher, first and foremost, preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. But it wasn't just his preaching. It was very person and work, which is the body, which is the foundation of everything we believe and everything that flows out of that. You see, every doctrine we believe is by necessity tied to the full perfect work and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the Apostle Paul can say, Him we proclaim. It's not that he only ever talked about Jesus being on a cross. It's because everything flows out of Christ and flows back to Christ. And that is the doctrine which is sound and healthy. It, it's, a little bit, it's a little bit like when you see those, those builders who have master builder, you know, or master plumber or master electrician, and it's like a stamp of approval, right? So you call up a Sparky, and the Sparky turns up in your house, and he walks in the door, and maybe you see on his shirt a master electrician, and you go, oh, he's approved as an electrician to have that logo. And so what do you think to yourself? Great, he's not going to butcher something and electrocute me later on. He's going to do a good job. He's safe. He's sound, you might say. You see, the, the sound doctrine is Jesus. And so when you see teaching that flows out of and into Christ, you can go, oh, this is a master Jesus teaching. I can trust this, even if I am very basic in my understanding of the Christian faith, even if I'm but a child. If it flows out of Christ, I can eat it and feed upon it and be nourished. Even if it's the most simplest of foods, just the simplest meat, potato, and veggies, because it is founded upon Christ it is good to be consumed upon. You know, and there's a couple of really important uses that come out of this. Firstly, that means since, since a good doctrine is that which is rooted in Christ, we're not free to create our own doctrines, right? I mean, we may not like certain things about the Reformed worldview, let's say. There might be certain practices that you disagree on. There might be some things you struggle to get your head around, like double predestination. And you think to yourself, well, if God predestines people to be saved, what does that mean about those that aren't saved? You think to yourself, I'm not sure I like that very much. Well, the bad news is, for you, it's got nothing to do with whether you like it. You might have problems. You might struggle to get your head around things. But we're not free to invent doctrine. We must come to the master teacher, to Christ himself, as everything flows into and out of him, as we find it in the whole breadth of Scripture, and seek to say, what does God give me as sound and healthy doctrine? Because only that will sustain me. We're not free to say, actually, salt water tastes pretty good. I actually met someone once who said, I like drinking salt water. I cannot fathom, but they did. But that doesn't make it good for you, does it? And you can wish that it's good for you. 
And you can even think that it's good for you, but it's not good for you. And so too with the good sound doctrine. The other thing is, of course, we must beware of any teaching and any doctrine that is not firmly rooted in the fullness of God's revelation as it's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there are always people that are seeking to lead us astray. We saw that with the false teachers, didn't we? They're all over the internet. There's thousands of theological experts on Facebook, so I'm told. There's thousands on YouTube. I mean, you can find a live stream of Joel Osteen for the rest of your life. And it will destroy you because it's not good and healthy. You end up becoming like a foster child feeding in rubbish tins. You see, we have been given sound doctrine and we ought to strive to have it and to know it and to walk in it. But we've also been given sound teachers. We've been given teachers by God. So Paul says to Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. He doesn't say people of Crete teach. Now we all know, as we're going to see here, there's teaching that everybody does, right? What's really interesting is if you look at the original, it's actually not teach. It's actually speak. And if you're using an old version of the Bible, you'll see it says speak. Some versions translate it a variety of different ways. And I think part of the problem is that Paul's using the word speak very intentionally because what he's commending Titus to do is to, to do this in every sphere, everywhere he goes, whether it's having a cup of coffee at Starbucks with someone or whether it's sitting in someone's home, or whether it's standing in the pulpit, wherever he goes, as long as he's doing the work of the ministry, he must speak that which accords with sound doctrine. You see, the, the reason for that is that, as Romans 12 tells us, that we are transformed through the renewal of our emotions, right? No, through the renewal of our minds, now, some of us love having our emotional strings plucked. Confession, I'm one of them. When I, when I, I, I it might surprise you, I know, but when I, when I hear like really charismatic music, I am sucked into that in no time. I love it. I'm just like, man, this is so good. It just sucks my heart in. But that's not how I'm transformed. I am renewed and transformed by the renewal of my mind. Why? Because God doesn't skip the mind to get to the heart. We address the mind, but we don't stop there, do we? We don't say you just need to have an intellectual grasp of this. We say you must know this. Know this. It must sink through the head into the heart so that you don't just understand it, but you believe it and you confess it to be true and you put your hope in it. Intellectualism will never suffice, but anti-intellectualism won't help either. And so we have teachers who address our minds so that we might be transformed. 
Now, there, there are some very simple applications from that, right? Let me give you one insanely simple application. On a Saturday night, go to bed early. Because guess what's really hard to do? Stay awake when you're tired in the middle of a sermon. I know, I have to sit through sermons sometimes too, not as often as you guys do. But if you don't go to bed on time, guess what? How are you going to proactively use your mind to listen and to be transformed? Come ready to think. Don't, don't just sit as a passive person. You may not realize this, but I can tell which of you are passive and which of you are active listeners. It's a weird thing. Often when you're sitting in the chairs, you forget that the minister at the front actually sees you because you think about the fact that you're looking at him, right? But, you know, logic says that if you can see me, I can see you. And so come with an active mind ready to listen so that you might receive the word and have it pressed down into your heart. But I think he's particularly chosen this method because it kind of makes no sense, right? Like, it just would have been way easier if Jesus came now because we could just get Alan's camera and record the whole thing, right? And, and we could like have the, the voice of Jesus speaking the Sermon on the Mount. We could just watch it on repeat on YouTube. But that wasn't what Jesus did. Why? Because it's through the folly of preaching that God puts to shame the wise people of the world. It's through the folly of actively speaking and addressing the mind which makes the world go, you guys are insane. I mean, on a Sunday afternoon with this glorious day outside, you sat in a church and listened to some dude talk for like half an hour? That's nuts. Who does that? No, we do. Why? Because that's how I get fed. Because God in his wisdom has decided that it's through apostles and prophets and teachers that the saints, Ephesians 4, are equipped for service, right? You cannot be equipped for service without a minister bringing the word to you. Now, there, there are some important implications from that, right? For one, we desperately need to free up ministers to do this work. I was struck by this in a story I heard recently about a man named Dick Lucas, if you've ever heard of Dick Lucas. Dick Lucas, when he first started in the church he was in, uh, was very busy doing everything. And by everything, I mean everything, from cleaning the toilet to preaching every Sunday and everything in between. If it needed to be done, he did it. Now, what happens when you have a person like that? Anyone who has a job that needs to be done goes to who? The guy that does everything. And so everyone would come to him and say, hey, Dick, I, I notice the bathrooms are quite dirty. And he would say, okay, I'll just get on that. And he would start doing it. And then one day he said, one day he said he realized that the health and direction and growth of the church will be entirely based upon the preaching and teaching ministry carried out in it. And so one day he decided he needed to put all of his attention into that. And so 
he started doing something very simple. People would come to him and say to him, hey, Dick, I've noticed the music has gone downhill a bit lately. And he would say, I've noticed that too, but excuse me, I need to go and prepare. Well, they'd say, I've noticed the toilets are dirty. And he would say, I'm sorry, excuse me, I need to go pray. And he said, what was striking was, when he made this commitment, all of a sudden the, the preaching became richer, the people got more fed, and all of a sudden it was the people coming to him and saying to him, Dick, whatever you do, don't stop devoting yourself to word and prayer. Don't stop going and teaching. Don't stop bringing us the food of God's word. Whatever you can give to us, give to us so that you just carry on doing that. Why? Because he saw that the, the need for the church was for him to open up the word to them, whether it was in the home or whether it was in the pulpit. That when he, when he visited people, what the people in the home needed was not his warm, fluffy condolences, but they needed the word. They needed the word to be taught to them. That when he went into hospitals, what they needed was the word of God. And that should be, brothers and sisters, what you expect. If your ministers especially, but also your elders, come to you and come to minister to you and they don't turn up with the word of God to edify you, there's a problem because the only way we can help you is with this Bible. There is no other help we have for you. And so seek it and pray that your ministers might be faithful in the word. Pray that they might not get distracted because it's really easy. There are so many things you can spend your time on, as we all know, right? Pray that your minister might be faithful in the word and pray that God might give more ministers. We've got churches in our denomination that don't have ministers. Who will teach them? Maybe God might raise up men from our very midst to teach God's word. May he do so. And so we see that God has given a sound doctrine, this body of truth, but he's also given teachers like Titus and like myself. But then he's given them for a reason, hasn't he? He's given sound doctrine and he's given teachers for our faith and for our practice, for godliness. It's striking because chapter 2 verse 1 doesn't actually say teach sound doctrine, does it? I don't know if you noticed that. Chapter 2 verse 1 does not say teach sound doctrine. It says teach what accords with sound doctrine. That's different, right? Now, Titus knows he needs to teach sound doctrine. He doesn't need to be told that. That's a given. We don't want someone teaching heresy. He says, teach what accords with it. Teach what goes with it. Teach what follows it. Teach what sound doctrine produces. And you might say to yourself, well, what on earth is that? Well, it's chapter 2, isn't it? Older men are to be sober-minded, etc. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent, etc. They are to teach what is good. They are to train the young women to do these things. Likewise, the younger men are to be self-controlled, etc. 
Verse 9, bond servants, you are to act like this. Chapter 3, verse 1, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. This is what accords with sound doctrine, right? Titus is, Paul is saying to Titus, Titus, preach the gospel and teach it so that people's lives get changed. And I tell you, I have run into this in many different places where someone says, you should not emphasize the commands of God. You just preach the gospel and leave God to do the rest. There's a problem with that, isn't there? Because God tells ministers to preach that which is fitting, that which matches good doctrine. Why? Well, we know this as parents, don't we? If we feed our children well, what happens? They grow, and they're nourished, and they're strong, and they're healthy. But if we neglect to feed our children well, or if we feed them nothing but candy, they will become, even though they enjoy it, they will become malnourished, won't they? Sickly, weak, their bones will break down. They will be easily broken and easily overcome. That's why we preach what accords with sound doctrine. Because when we preach what accords with sound doctrine, people are fed and exhorted to walk in faithfulness like Boaz. You see, Boaz didn't just like get born this guy who loves following God, right? He was trained. And he... He followed the footsteps of maybe his father and mother and elders in town. John Calvin states it beautiful. He says, the only legitimate commendation of doctrine is that it instructs us in the reverence and fear of God. Hear that again. The only legitimate commendation of doctrine is that it instructs us in the reverence and fear of God. Thus, we are taught that the man who has made most progress in godliness is the best disciple of Christ, and the only man who should be counted a real theologian is he who can build up men's consciences in the fear of God. A.K.A., if the teacher is not preaching and ministering for change, he's not a real preacher and teacher. It's not enough for me to just tell you about salvation. It's not enough for Jeff. It's not enough for Carlo. It's not enough for the elders. Their job is to take the sound doctrine and open it up in such a way that your lives would be changed. Because what is the will of God for you? Your sanctification. First Thessalonians, right? What is that sanctification? That you wouldn't give yourself over in that context to sexual immorality. My goal here, if I could have a goal, my goal here at Covenant is that each and every one of you 
would be godlier when I'm gone than when I first came. That you would be godlier today than you were seven years ago. That's, that's got to be my goal, right? That you would be growing in what accords with sound doctrine, which is two things, faith and practice, right? It's not just practice, but it's also faith. It's a firm belief and trust in Christ that rests wholly and totally on the totality of the work of Christ. And then, as we saw this morning, produces works in keeping with that. I can't tell you how much of a delight it is to me and to the elders when we hear of people putting sin to death and walking in holiness. When someone comes along to you and says, I was doing this, but now I'm doing that. I've put this sin off and I've put this holiness on. And so, brothers and sisters, desire Desire rich food that brings change. Beg for it. Be like the little child who ate 15 minutes ago and comes to mum and says, I'm starving. I'm hungry, feed me. Be like that. I always... You know, I can't, every time, every time I say towards the end of a sermon, well, we're running out of time, we'll just have to stop there. Inevitably, someone comes up to me and says, just carry on preaching. Now, some of us might think to ourselves, no, don't do that, please. 30 minutes is all I can bear. But to that person, what is that? I'm hungry. Feed me, Logan. Give me the bread of life. It's what I need. Receive it and look for every opportunity. Like, praise the Lord. Two services where you get fed. What a gift. Do you know how abnormal that is? Sometimes we forget this is weird now. It used to be normal. It's weird now. I think there is only three congregations in our entire denomination that has evening services. Why not have seven? No, I'm joking. Don't mind. But we... You could have three, couldn't you? You could go to a Bible study. You could go to a prayer meeting. You could gather together with a brother or sister and open the Word. You could open up the Word in the morning. You could be looking and proactively seeking and searching for the bread of life, the food that sustains your soul, that leads to godliness and change. There's so many availabilities. And yes, there's good stuff on YouTube and even Facebook that you can find. It's just lots of rubbish there. Read good books. Find teachers that will build you up in the faith. You know, Titus's job was to ensure that the children were not left unfed at the end of the day, right? Not to be left unfed. Now, malnourishment can be a result of both sides, right? The teacher can fail to feed the sheep. And feed the sheep well. And that fault resides with the shepherd. But the sheep at times can fail to eat the food provided, right? 
And so we all must search our hearts to question whether we are being nourished and sustained and fed and why. So how are you doing? I, I know it's simple fear. You know, I, I'm not silly. I know I'm not Sinclair Ferguson. I'd love to be. I mean, it's a sweet Scottish accent, right? I know I'm not Charles Spurgeon. But have you ever considered your mum's cooking that kept you alive? I mean, maybe your mum was an amazing cook, but meat, potatoes, veggies. Day in, day out, wasn't a five-star restaurant, but it kept you alive, right? It kept you nourished and fed. Well, may it be so for us. May the simple, Lord willing, clear exposition of God's word nourish us and feed us that we might grow, as Ephesians says, into the full stature of Christ. Can you imagine what that might look like? The full stature of Christ. Well, may he grant it so. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your holy word which nourishes us. And we confess that often we approach it wrongly, often we don't eat it, often we fail to teach it and to teach it well. And we pray that you would feed us from your own hand, that you would feed us till we want no more, Lord. That as David says, we would delight in the law of God. That like the Israelites in the wilderness, we would take up the manna and eat that which you have provided, recognizing that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.